recently when I had an incredible view of the Rocky Mountains. I didn't know what to say. So I said what we all say, wow. There weren't words that were articulate enough. The other day, someone had, at our house had cooked and the stove was still hot, but there was no indication my hand touched the stove. My hand was removed very quickly. Last year, the Internal Revenue Service sent me a bill. I paid the tax. What do we do when we encounter something more powerful than us? Visually, like the Rocky Mountains, heat, the IRS. We react. When there is a force more powerful than us, we react. Here's my first point today. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit on the earth. Holy Spirit evokes a reaction. I want you to write it down. Holy Spirit evokes a reaction. We're going to continue our journey through Acts 1 and 2. And I'm not talking about the first few verses of Acts chapter 2 because we addressed this on Pentecost Sunday. And Pastor Dan Scott, I believe, preached that Sunday. And then we had our Holy Spirit seminar. So for the 30 of you who were there for that, you already heard me teach on Acts chapter 2. And so there, you, you, can, you can find several servants teachings by me on Acts chapter 2 online. As I know, you all peruse my catalog of sermons on a daily basis. But I want us to start in verse 12. Because this amazing occurrence happened on the day of Pentecost. And the, the people who were seeking the Lord... A wind came, a fire came, they spoke in other languages. Uh, The Holy Spirit was given to the church. The church was birthed. The power that we talked about in Acts 1-8 manifested. And, And now let's talk about the reaction. Verse 12, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but some sneered. And said, they are drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the 11. As you, you know, Matthias was added. So there were 12 again. We talked about that last week. Jesus, uh, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. We see here that the people who experienced the Holy Spirit when he was first given had a reaction. Because when you face something more powerful than you, your, your senses and your, your physical body reacts. We see this in the natural, in the in examples that I already gave you. So wouldn't it make sense that if you encountered the living holy God, there would be some reaction? Especially this is a spiritual phenomena. And when we don't understand something spiritual, 
we, we often have to come up with a natural explanation. So here, here, where, where am I going today at this? Okay, here's where I'm going. I'm not trying to get you to do anything. Okay? And I'm not responding to anything that happened. Like there's not some story that at a 242 group recently or that you service, something happened. Let's, let's now explain this. And that's, we're very reactionary with, with sometimes with how uh, we teach God's word. This is one of the values of just starting with the scripture and letting the scripture teach. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm telling you something coming from scripture because there may come a day when your natural mind is offended by how someone reacts to the spirit of God. And, and when that day comes, I want you to have a discernment of spirits, and I want you to know the scripture so that you can discern uh, to the best of your ability as a flawed human being what is of God and what is not of God. But a biblical-centered worldview says that, yes, this can occur. People may cry when they're touched by God's presence. I mean, people cry when someone carries a leather ball across a line. I'm so happy Tennessee finally scored. <laughs> Vanderbilt's in double digits. I love my team so much. Pass the Kleenex. And we're like, that's normal. That's cool, we understand. But when the living presence of God, that presence which was on Mount Sinai with Moses, and now through the giving of the Holy Spirit, touches us, and, and, and we cry. We, we want to act as if that is, uh, that is um, unusual. Well, yes, it is unusual, but we want to act as like that's an embarrassing occurrence, and, and, it's, and it's not. Human reason would tell you otherwise. But I'm not preaching to you out of human reason today. I'm, I'm showing you what happened in scripture. Let's look at an, at an Old Testament example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. Hannah is who this narrative is about. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, and that word Lord, as you see it capitalized, is Yahweh. This is not just a uh, talking about the position of God, as she prepared in Yahweh's presence the name that was so holy the people wouldn't even speak. Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. How many know that would be unusual to see? Someone just moving their lips and no sounds coming out. So what would the natural mind say? Like, naturally, what's going on here? This is out of my scope of experience. And so let me give a rational explanation for what's happened. And so what does Eli the priest, Eli thought she was drunk. And said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I'm a woman with, with a broken heart. I was trying to guess, is that heart or spirit? I don't know, but I haven't had any wine or beer I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as wicked. Woman, I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. 
if you see the presence of the Lord touching a person and, and maybe you're thinking, hey, they, are they crazy? <laughs> are they drunk? Are they high? If our natural mind automatically goes there, then it's much easy for us to handle. It's, much, it's just easy for us to handle that way because they're like, they are weird and I am not. I'm dignified. I'm in control. And to be honest with you, that's how I want to be. I'm a little nervous about even telling you because some of, a few of you crazy charismatics are going to be like, yes, this is my time to do something crazy and weird. So just put your agenda outside and follow the spirit, please. Okay, I don't need anyone to create culture except the Holy Spirit himself. Here's the greater point. Where do we go to to make judgments? We go to our instincts. And when we go to our instincts, it only reflects what you've already known or experienced. Your instincts will reflect the knowledge you've accumulated and the culture you've been immersed in. And this is why we as God's people are very vulnerable if we don't go back to scripture. Scripture is our guide. Scripture not only informs us of of doctrine and theology and of practice, and yet we tend to embrace the parts of scripture that we like and we either ignore or explain away the part that we don't prefer, and yet we claim to be Bible-believing Christians. Let me talk to you about something called a social construct. A social construct, construct is the idea in culture. It's something that's been created and it's been accepted by the people of society. And it's different from place to place. So here's an example of a social construct. In Africa, uh, the men, masculine male men, walk down the road holding hands. How many of you guys would, it'd be, it, it would feel a little strange if you saw Michael Rollins and I walking down the back hall holding hands. For some, that would feel strange. But in the United States of America, if you have a football uniform on, it's okay. Have you ever seen these big tough guys? They hold hands walking into the stadium. Like, I'm so scared of the opponent. Let's hold hands together. And in between the plays, they hold hands. Why? Because our social construct says it's okay to do that when you're in pads and a helmet, but not okay to do that on a regular street for the most case. In, in Scotland, uh, men wear skirts. They call them kilts, but I call them skirts. And that's a masculine thing to do. It's a so, social construct. In the day that Acts chapter two was written, here were a couple of the social con- constructs that were happening. The young people had to wait their turn for full involvement. And there, there was some good to this because, unfortunately, in our culture, we're, you know, if you, if you break 39, it's like you don't have anything to give anymore, which is just ridiculous. But in that culture, the young maybe had to wait very long. And then, also, women did not have full opportunity in leadership or expression. 
This passage today shows us number two, I think you've already seen it, that the Holy Spirit moves beyond social constructs. We see this in the scripture today. That's why Joel, the prophet, prophesied something that came to pass in Acts chapter two and and Peter, when he was preaching, reminded people, hey, this is what Joel said would happen and here's what's happened. Verse 16, on the contrary, this is, on the contrary of being drunk, on the contrary of being drunk, I know that's all, your, that's all your natural mind can handle because you can just claim these people are drunk and just move away. That, that's just, that's the easiest thing to do. Isn't it funny that the most intellectual people are, are sometimes the least open-minded people? In their arrogance, they like to categorize everything and, and not fully or open to what the Lord wants or even, even uh, new ways of doing things, not even in the spiritual realm. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God. These are the last days we categorize them as the day of Jesus. Since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And every day, tomorrow will be another last day. It's just, it just continues to accumulate. I will pour out my spirit on all people. That'll just preach right there. Holy Spirit is not a discernment of people. But speaking into the social constructs, it says, then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now, this is, you know, this is hard for, this is easy for us to understand, but hard for them to grasp. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And then I love this one. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. God's saying, and I don't like this term, but it will help us, the lower class, the people who have not had the advantages economically, have not had the advantages in education, are not, haven't grown up on the right part of town. They don't have the connections. They aren't religiously trained. Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit's for that person too. This is a beautiful, beautiful community we're part of. A community where you don't earn your place with God. See, religion, we'd mess things up. We'd be like, hey, those of you who give the most, you get the back row. I understand this back row, people. I mean, that you got to come early to get the back row in Christianity. Um, so so we're, we're going to stratify and classify the church based off donations. The Holy Spirit is sickened by that kind of work. Because that which you cannot purchase, that which is you, you cannot put value on, the moving of God's spirit is for every single person. Every single person he's for. And so we see this at work today. That the gospel flourishes in marginalized societies. That's why Christianity is growing in the parts of the world where there's high need economically. Christianity is growing under persecution. And that's why those of us who, joy, who enjoy the advantages of, of a good economy and religious liberties that I thank God for, and, and I, I don't want to lose those, and, and I'm so grateful for those, but we struggle in the place of affluence. And I'll keep telling you that because you're going to keep struggling with it because I keep struggling with it. Our hearts drift from God. Our hearts drift from God easy. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
You, we don't apply that and go try to be poor. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is turning upside down conventional wisdom. And he's saying, he's saying that the poor in spirit, they have the kingdom of God. Not the arrogant, not those with the answers, not the rich, not those who are in the inside circles, not those who know how to network. They don't have the kingdom of God. They get the kingdom of the world often. And often they trade out the kingdom of God for the kingdom of the world. But you show me someone who's, who's never been esteemed, who hasn't had parents have taken them to church, who hasn't understood what hope we have. And there is a hope and there is a way. And watch faith explode in them that is not some kind of passive regurgitation of what a previous generation has. It's a firsthand spirit-inspired faith that comes from the heart. And this is, a, this is something of beauty. And the Holy Spirit's for all people. The Holy Spirit's for females. The whole trajectory of Scripture is affirming of women and leadership. And that's why in verse 17, he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And just further on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9, says, the next day we left and we came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with them. And this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. We see that later on in 1 Corinthians, the reason that Paul was giving instructions to women how to pray and those instructions are things we have to work through culturally. But the reason he was giving women those instructions is because the women were praying and prophesying publicly. And though we see him work through those social constructs in, in, in 1 Corinthians and in some of those other passages, the bigger picture is the bigger picture is that the sisters in Christ had full participation in the kingdom of God, even though they had to work through uh, a society that did not give the same respect. For the young. We find this as the gospel expands. 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone, this is, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. And that's why so many of the moves of God within our churches and within bigger movements have started with the young people have started with the teenagers, have started with the kids. Thank you for being a church who supports youth ministry. Thank you for being a church that allows us to have a full-time youth pastor. Thank you, parents, for sacrificially paying to send your kids on fall retreat. Thank you for giving scholarships. It is not just something nice we do. It is not just our hope for the future. It's our hope for today. Because as our young people, as they discover the fire of God, it will spread in us and around us. The Jesus movement of the 1960s changed our nation, and there'll be many more Jesus movements in the day to come, and we'll be ready to see it. Here's number three. The Holy Spirit can impact the natural realm. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit has the ability to impact the natural realm. So I ask this question. And don't answer it because it's a rhetorical question. I love you as your pastor. I was going to, if I asked this question, you answered it, you'd probably answer it not the way I wanted you to answer it. So just, there we go. Here, here's a rhetorical question. Does, does God intervene in the weather? And here's my answer to it. Occasionally. Occasionally. Not all the time. We'll talk about that more. 
Let's look at the passage, Acts 2, starting with verse 19. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Now, this is usually the passage pastors just kind of skip over to go to the rest of the scripture. I'll give you some interpretations. Um, Some would say that Peter interpreted that this occurred on the day of Pentecost when there was wind, when there was fire, um, and that those were symbols. These languages strongly connect with the plagues of Egypt. If you go back and you study that language and the wording of the exodus of God's people out of Egypt to Israel. And so it's as if saying that like what God did for the Israelites back in the day, this legend that you've heard for thousands of years, it's happening again today. A God of deliverance, a God who can do anything, a God who's moving and we can feel his movement. We can feel his fire. We can hear the, we can hear the language of God. We can see the language of God. And then also all of these all are coming together, the judgment of God. So there's different ways to interpret what that scripture is. The the point on the most basic level is there are times when God can intervene in the weather. And and I told a story once before. I don't have time to tell it today. I was on a mission trip in Mexico, and a cloud was coming this way, and we prayed, and the cloud split, and we had the service. It was pretty cool. But it hadn't always worked out that way for me (laughs) because I don't control the winds and the waves. Only Jesus does. So I want to tell you a story here. I like the story, even though my self-imposed timer just went off. <laughs> it's a hypothetical story. I want us to travel in our minds to the state of Iowa. Wayne is a good Christian man. He's an usher at the church. He tithes. He attends the 8 a.m. men's Bible study, and he is on the lawn care rotation. Wayne is a vocational farmer. Farmer Wayne is enduring a dry season and he needs rain. Why does farmer Wayne need rain? Because Christmas is coming in three months and he wants to buy Christmas gifts for his cute little grandkids. Wayne is praying for rain. An eighth of a mile from where Wayne's family farm is, is a new subdivision. Brittany lives there. Brittany is a 27-year-old mom. She is a good Christian lady. She helps host the IF gathering at her church. She does not skip the nursery rotation. She supports Beth Moore. She is a fearless mom. But Brittany and her husband... Let's call him Chance. They're having a two-year-old birthday party for baby Chloe. Brittany, here's a plot twist, is praying against rain. So let me ask you this question. Who does God love more, Wayne or Brittany? Because the rain's going to hit both of them. And so if we have more, Wayne's grandkids are Brittany's daughter and this little formula multiplies itself in every little community and so I'm like always like 
I'm sorry, I don't want to pray for your kid's birthday party because I got someone else is praying for their garden. I mean, think about this, okay? Now, I think we need to include God in every detail of our life, but here's the deal. The question is, does the Holy Spirit, I mean, does God change the weather? Sometimes he does. The Holy Spirit can impact the natural realm, but listen to this. Holy Spirit always works through the natural realm. So he doesn't always part the the storm clouds, but he always changes and leads you in the middle of the storm clouds. And so we see in the gospel, Jesus said these words in Matthew 5, 45. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And in that day, uh, in a agrarian community, rain was money. My son, he mows lawns, and when it rains, I say, buddy, money is falling out of the sky for you today. God causes both the good and the evil to have the same experience, and he says, I want to work through that experience. So the God, when we read things, like in the last days, this incredible thing's going to happen, and and even blood and fire and cloud and smoke and sun to darkness and moon to blood. And then we think we're some kind of superhero to control the weather. That's not really the intention. It's just saying that God's going to move in the heavenlies. He can, he can move in the natural realm, but he usually doesn't. And when he does, it's for kingdom purpose. It's not because you are in control, because he's always in control. Here's the last thing, and our worship team can join me. The Holy Spirit participates in the salvation of every person who calls on Jesus. The Holy Spirit participates in the salvation of every person who calls on Jesus. No one becomes a Christian without the Holy Spirit. No one comes to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. It's called provenient grace. The Spirit draws us to Jesus. And so even if like Billy Graham like could come and preach and in his southern drawl and get us to raise our hands. Billy Graham doesn't lead people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads people to Jesus. He is just, he was just a mouthpiece. The Spirit prepares our hearts. The Spirit gives us understanding of the gospel because the gospel is foolish until the Spirit makes it wisdom to us. And the faith we have to raise our hand, to walk the aisle, to get into the baptismal waters, the faith we have to fill out the card is not us, it is from the Spirit. And this is why I love our God. Verse 21, then everyone, isn't that a nice word? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for every single person. And that's what we do here at CIL. We call upon the name of the Lord. We do it through worship. We do it through the elements. We do it through honoring scripture. We do it through the way we love one another. And we are a family expecting guest. And I'm so excited that in the next few months, the next few years, through the Holy Spirit, He's preparing people in your life who need an encounter with God, who need an encounter with the gospel, who need to know who Jesus is. And he's going to use you and he's going to use me to invite them to call upon the name of the Lord. Just last week, we printed these invitation cards, which I'm really excited about them because 
this is our third version. And I didn't like the first two versions. And I was like, man, I didn't want to give these things out. I like these. And I think you will too. Um, so when you leave today, pick up as many as you can. And we have, we printed 5,000 of them. It says, we want you, CIL Church, it has a map. And, and I'm carrying four or five of these in my pocket. And I'm just asking the Lord, if I get in conversation with someone, let me invite them. Because you know why? You know why everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't know that person you think would never be interested in Christianity. That person who may used to have been a leader in the church, but they haven't been going to church in 10 years. Uh, that person that you've had a conversation with, um, it may be their time. We, we know this. Listen, you may have to give out 12 of these before anyone asks like they're interested in it. But, but it's a tool for you. It's a tool for us. Let's stand together as we go to the Lord's table. We're gonna open the Lord's table today. I just thank you, Holy Spirit. We're just full of the good things of God today. We're full of the good things of God today. I'm so glad you're here because you are walking in the ways of the Lord. You're walking in the ways of the Lord. I, I like to remind you this every week. You are not perfect. You worship the one who is perfect. It's not your power and your strength and your morality and your discipline that leads you to the table of the Lord or to the altar of the Lord. It is Jesus and Jesus only. He has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so I invite you this morning to the Lord's table. Pastor Deborah will be serving communion by intention, which means if you want to take the bread and dip it in the cup, or to your left, to your right, you can take the bread and the cup on your own. Also in the back, there are stations for us to connect with Jesus through this ordinance. We believe his presence is with us as we go to the table and we honor him. I won't give further instructions if you're visiting with us. You can take communion when you're ready. You don't have to. Some weeks there's good reasons why Christians don't take communion, but those are available to you. We want to give you a chance to respond to this word. You can respond to this word through communion. You can do it through reflection. You can do it by praying with someone you love. But we're not just hearers of the word. We're doers of the word. And so, listen, I pray that something that the Lord said through the scriptures, maybe some illustration I gave, can bring you to love him more and to love Jesus more. We're a confessional people. We know that we're saved once and we don't have to be insecure about our salvation. But we also know this is that we keep going back to Jesus because there's, there's, there's always ways for our hearts to drift. And so I want us to pray this prayer of confession as it invites the Trinity and his work into our lives. And I pray that this would be life and strength to you as it is to me every time I say it. Would you pray this prayer if you so choose to? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. I love you guys. The table of the Lord is open. I'll come and give our benediction in just a few minutes.